0: Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Bates. What's up guys, this is Joseph Benavides, UFC Flyweight.
1: Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun.
0: Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? MMA amazing Radio.
2: Welcome to It's m Amazing Radio. I'm Dr. Law. Kid presentables here. S- somewhere. I guess it motherfucker. He's not. <laughs> Lavender Gooms is here. <laughs> May the 14th be with you. Uh DJ Mark is here.
3: Hello. And also it's the 15th, Mike. You have to remember. We're speaking into the future.
0: <laughs> All right, yeah. May <laughs> the 15th he, uh, be with you, <laughs> unless you're
2: unless you're an it's M amazing shit eating wild man who's listening to this shit Monday night, and he because he missed the intro when I shouted him out before. kid Presentable's here too. Come on, fellas!
1: I added the webcam so you could physically see me. I was gonna
0: Zombie. say, I mean, <laughs> step away.
2: man, I got like, oh dude, God. I got I got stuff happening. I gotta know.
1: Got, uh, uh, my bad, my bad.
2: How's it going? It's everyone? all right. All right, guys, um, we're going to talk to you guys about the results of UFC 224, which was a really good time up until the really unfortunate final three and a half minutes, I'd say. Um, we're going to talk about all the results that came out of that. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Bellator because they had a they had some good stuff happen to their car too. Um, no one saw it, but, you know, we'll talk about it. Uh, we're going to talk about Chuck fucking Liddell. We're going to talk about... Uh, Nate Diaz. We're going to talk about Yair real briefly, because briefly, because I'm not entirely sure what happened there still. Um, we'll give you guys a bit of a preview about this card, which is worth your time for two fights. I think that's fair assessment. Um, happening on Let's Go With Saturday uh, in Chile. Um, uh, little memoirs of the fight fan, and then stuff we like, and everybody goes home, and we can all go watch the basketball game, <laughs> which we all really want to do right now. Um, Well, I'll speak for yourself. Three of us want to do. Okay. Um, UFC 224 came to us from the... I can't say it. The arena in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. About uh, 10,700 people were there. Main event at Amanda Nunes, Raquel Pennington. What we got was a pretty dominant performance from Amanda Nunes. But let's just get right into the controversy of what happened. End of the fourth round. We're in Amanda Nunes' corner. Uh, She says, I'm done. I want to be done. Her corner says no, Raquel no, no. Pennington's corner. You mean? What did I say, Nunez? Yeah. Sorry, Raquel Pennington's corner. They tell her cornerman, tell her, no, no, you're not done. Uh, we just got to change your mindset. We'll recover later. Um, and uh, that was pretty much it. They really didn't give him, give her any kind of instruction for how she was going to save her ass in these next five minutes. Um, so pretty much the next three minutes to what ensued was very uncomfortable for uh, everybody watching really became un not fun to watch, um, which is the smallest of the problems between compared to the fact that and I'm just gonna give my opinion on this, I thought it was pretty fucking gross. I think that when you tell your cornerman that that is the end of the fight, and I don't care how well they know her um and I know she went out against the, again herself, but she's been hitting the head for the last 20 minutes. And I know after the fact, Tisha Torres and Raquel Pennington said that they were um, okay with the decision, that Raquel didn't, Raquel herself said she didn't want to quit on the stool. She would have been upset with herself about that. I don't care because I think once you say those words and the right example, the correct example of how this worked out was when Nate Marquardt told Trevor Whitman, I'm done. And Trevor Whitman didn't bat a fucking eye. This was against, um, I want to say, Brad Tavares maybe. I apologize, I forgot who it was, but Nate Marquardt said he was done, and Trevor Whitman said okay, and he stopped the fight right there, and I remember BJ Penn's corner, as bad as BJ Penn's corner always is in terms of advice, BJ said he was done against GSP, and that was the end of the fucking fight, um, Stefan, um, what do you think? Um,
1: yeah, it's, you know, you covered a lot of the ground. Um, I wouldn't say I'm like disgusted. I know a lot of people are pretty appalled about it, but I do agree with the sentiment that once Pennington was done, she was done. Um, cause kind of going back to our breakdown of how the fight would play out. Um, I think we all pretty much agreed on Pennington's Avenue to win was her toughness, which was very much there, right? She took a hell of a beating, but she's a tough, tough fighter. You cannot take that away from her. But the breakdown, uh, which was incorrect, and I think we can retire the meme about Amanda Nunez now, is her gas tank issues. Um, Pennington's comeback was entirely reliant on Nunez fading herself. But, you know, this, and while it wasn't the most action-packed, the Shevchenko performance aside, I think Nunez is fully shown now that she's the champion, now that she's dedicated, she can put it on them. So it's one of those things is... I've heard the corner arguments you don't want your fighter to have a regret you don't want them uh you know you want them to keep pushing because you don't know if they'll get this chance again will it look bad in the eyes of management if you quit on the stool but at the same time you also have to be honest with the fighter what was her avenue to winning going to be was she going to knock her out no there was no power there was she suddenly going to miraculously get the sub probably not her nose was broken and that's why i think she was done is that's a really challenging place to be and then we saw it. It got capitalized on. That thing became a geyser after. And you saw Amanda Nunez as soon as it was done, calling in the doctors, calling in the doctors. Like, it's one of those things. Yeah, we they, they were Amanda very Nunes
2: clearly friends. Bad
1: about how much she had to put it on to end that fight.
2: Yeah, um, they're, um, they're, they're very clearly friends until she talked about it. And they brought everybody in the cage. Tisha was there. Um, Nina Ansaroff, uh, Raquel Pennington, um, Nunes. They were all in there. And Nunes said she wanted to go, we're going to go get a beer after this, which I'm like, well, Pettington should probably go to the hospital first, but that was nice to see. Um got a nice moment with all of them there. Marcus, um Nunez's performance, um, your thoughts on that because she's uh, she's the best. And she really showed it uh, on Saturday night. Yeah, um I hate to, to pivot your, your question,
3: Bob, but I want to weigh in on the on the corner thing because I'm more in the camp with Steph, and even more so and for me, and I, I want to get to Amanda Nunes, even though I think Steph did a good job. I think a lot of the points that he pointed out were the exact same takeaways I had. You know, it used to be a stamina was a big question mark there, and now she's had two fights where she's gone into deep into those fights and looked great in the fifth round. And I think her morale throughout this fight was one thing I really took away. Every round uh, in between rounds, you saw Amanda Nunes; she was smiling in her corner, she was having a good time, and why not in this fight in particular? She was really in the driver's seat throughout the entire fight. I think the second round was close, where um amanda nunez output wasn't super high raquel had you know when, it, when when they showed the the strike counter they were fairly close and raquel did get a takedown i kind of might have given her the second round but you can tell amanda nunez was in the driver's seat this entire fight and it showed in her expression right she was calm collected she wasn't blowing herself out and she was still throwing strong strikes trying to get it done you know not giving raquel any uh you know not giving her an inch to really get any momentum or start you know changing the tide of this fight um but going back to the whole corner fiasco For me, when this first happened, I think a lot of people were very quick to just castrate the corner, you know, right when they... Because I don't necessarily agree that if a fighter says, I'm done, it's just like, okay, that's it, everyone, stop what you're doing. Because I think there are fighters, and I think this does come into play with something that you... It didn't matter for you, right, Bobby? This didn't factor in for you. The corner and the relationship with the fighter, sometimes they know that you can push the guy a little bit more. Sometimes, maybe in the gym, sometimes I say like, oh, I'm supposed to go five, five five-minute rounds sparring, but I'm just really tired. And sometimes the corner can motivate them and get a fire lit in them and to push extra hard. And I don't know what the relationship with Raquel in her corner is. I don't really know her corner at all, which was something coming into this fight, I was like, I'm not really familiar with this camp. And if they've had a lot of high-profile athletes, Raquel was kind of the first person I knew that came out of there that has really gone into a title fight. So... Um, when this first happened, my first reaction was before I just throw these guys under the bus, I want to hear what they said because they could have they there's an avenue in this scenario where they could have said very motivating things that get Ra- Raquel motivated and pumped up to go in that fifth round. From watching it again, it didn't really seem like that was a the scenario. Their pep talk wasn't so great that I was like, okay, that what really wasn't it. It was a little iffy, but at the end of the day. What was most important for me to hear was, how did Raquel feel about this? Because if she felt that she was like pure pressured into going in the fifth, then I feel like what she should do is get out of that camp, get to a different camp, get into a more recognizable camp maybe. I would say, quote-unquote, a better camp um, that we're going to have, you know, if she felt that she was spited in this fight and that she did not want to go into that fifth round and she felt pressured to, and that's what made her go into it. And we don't we haven't really heard from Raquel, but Tisha says that Raquel was fine with it. And I think- Raquel said
2: Raquel said she was okay with it. And I wanted to ask you this. Do you think some of that is a fact that I don't think I think this sport is very unforgiving of people giving up? And she didn't want it to deal be. with that. I mean, in your it opinion, It could
3: be. But it's also I mean, it, it could be. It, it, I mean, I don't know what's going through Raquel's head. And that's something that she- only she would really know and have to express to us, you know, not through a third party, like even though it's her fiance, another person. I would like to hear it from Raquel, how she felt in that round and if she felt comfortable coming into the fifth round. Because to be honest, going into that fifth round, she wasn't shy. She wasn't just sitting there like, oh, just hit me once and I'll fall over. Like she still went after it in that fifth round. I was actually surprised about that. Like she still had some tenacity in her. Ultimately, it didn't matter, right? Amanda Nunes was way too far ahead for her to – you know, make up that ground. And while I agree with Stefan in this particular case, there was really no avenue for Pennington to pull a a super surprise upset in that fifth round. But let's say the, you know, impossible happens. This conversation takes a completely different turn. Raquel turns it around in the fifth round and wins. We're not castrating this corner. We're, best corner of all time they knew better than everyone including the fire themselves that she had something extra to give you know if, if that would have happened obviously it didn't so i think they get kind of... for me it was really how does raquel feel about this how does tisha torres who's very close to raquel feel about it because at the end of the day what i feel like is that i never thought raquel would get in this position to be a title contender she's always been someone that has been improving but i never saw a skill set that i was like she's gonna get title shots even if she doesn't get this first one, she's going to continue to get title shots, and she's going to have this opportunity come up multiple times throughout her career. I don't know if that's in Pennington's future necessarily, but I feel like if this is her one title shot, at least she could say at the end of the day, you know what? Mentally, I kind of broke a little bit, but my corner, they pushed
2: me. They got me in that fifth round. I got a quote. I got a quote directly from Pennington. That's okay. on ESPN, okay. actually, But this being on ESPN. Uh, she said, "At the end of the day, my coaches know me best and know my toughness. They know what I can handle, and I trust my coaches with everything that I have. And they wouldn't put me in a situation I can't handle." Let me ask this, uh, Mike. Wait I want my, my Mike. Mike, I want to put you in this. I want to ask you to this anyway with you. Even accepting that they are like looking for the hail mary thing, yeah. Don't you think, Mike? The happy medium would be the second that motherfucker hit the ground in the fifth round. That would probably be the time to actually stop the fight as a corner, uh,
0: right? I have so many problems with that statement because, I mean, the simple fact that you, Raquel Pennington, known for your toughness, the fact you're saying I'm done, that probably should have been a pretty good indication to your corner. Holy shit. If Raquel Pennington is saying she's done, then maybe she's done. And then the second part of the statement, they wouldn't put me in a situation where they think I couldn't handle it. girl. You couldn't handle it. You got stopped in the fifth round because you just couldn't take anymore. So pretty much everything was wrong with that statement.
2: Let's, um, this is, there's no right answer to this. Do I honestly think there needs to be some, it's almost like if I hear that, we got to do something, my opinion. But anyway, we're, 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 there's no right. We don't know the right answer to this. We're just going to keep debating it. I know the Marcus. Right well, we all have our own opinion. Marcus. <laughs> let's give a little bit of Stefan gave some shine to her. Why don't you give a little bit more shine to miss Nunez because shit, she threw one leg kick and you're like, Oh, this fight's fucked. Like, uh, Pennington screwed. <laughs>
3: yeah. I mean, but I, I hate this cause you, 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 keep throwing the ball one way and I always want to go a different way. Because Well, you know what? Ignore the ball.
2: That's, okay, that's just my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> ultimately, like
3: I, I all the credit in the world to Amanda Nunez. Yeah. One leg kick. And, it, it, and this is what I kind of hate in some fights like this. I hate when early in the fight, something happens and, the fight is basically already over. When that leg kick happened, and it wasn't just just because she took the leg kick, it was how she reacted after it. She did not move anymore. She wasn't moving side to side, backwards or forward. In that first round, she was very stagnant in one spot. It basically looked like she was dead in the water. Right After the first round, I was like, this is not going to go two, three, four more rounds. This is going to end quickly. So what I was really surprised at was that Pennington was able to start getting some some movement in and start to be a little bit more aggressive because I really thought midway through that first round, this fight's already over. And it kind of already was, right? Raquel never, you know, got so much momentum going that it seemed like the tide was ever shifting in her way. Except in that second round, like I said, she did score that takedown. She might have done enough in some judges' eyes to maybe steal that round away. I don't really think so because I think Amanda Nunes was just so in control in that fight. Um, but really, I, I think yeah. for looking at what to take away from both fighters, it's really just Nunes has kind of squashed some of the criticisms we used to have with her stamina tank and being able to go five rounds hard. And then Raquel, I don't think we learned a lot more. Just It was just re-cemented extremely tough. She doesn't have a lot of giving her, and and when she does, the corner doesn't care anyways, and they push her through for more rounds. So, uh, it, it was a good performance. You know, it was a fun fight to watch. It was, and I think it was hard to watch in that fifth round, knowing that the fighter mentally didn't want any more, but she was getting kind of, you know, pushed back in there, you know, and, she, but again, in that, go back and watch the beginning of that fifth round. It's not like Raquel was kind of wilting and didn't want the fight anymore. She she came after Amanda Nunes and, you know, was being aggressive and ultimately, you know, got taken to the ground. And I think, yeah, not a bad idea once it hits the mat. Uh, Pennington really doesn't have anything left there. Why not throw the towel on at that point? Um but I, I guess for me, the takeaway in this fight was I wasn't so disgusted with the corner. I felt like they were put in an interesting position and maybe it would have been in the best interest for Raquel's longevity to have just given up then but i don't know how you know i'm not i'm not uh raquel pennington and i don't know how that's going to stick with her for the rest of her career if she never gets another title shot and being like fuck i had one more round in me i knew i could and i didn't go in there and i don't you know maybe my whole life could have been different you know now there's no questions about what would have happened and you know that's something that fighters have to live with you know when when they when they quit early is just what could have been how the Tide could have changed. Ultimately, it didn't. You know, we ended up you know, with the result that we knew, but...
2: In fairness, you always hear about how um the final fight in the Ali-Fraser trilogy, where uh, Fraser quit on the stool, and Ali pretty much was about to also, but it still stuck with Fraser until the day he died, that he had done that, and it bothered him. So, I mean, yeah, there's going to be regrets. Um, Let's talk about the rest of this card, because, uh, uh, hell, there was a lot happening. Co-main event: Kelvin Gastelum, Jacare Souza. A really close fight, which I don't think you could score. I think honestly, you could have gone either way. Um, the real winner was Jacare's new hair. That was uh, that was a real great. F- that was I like that quite a bit. Those new plugs, looking solid. Um, Kelvin Gastelum says he wants a title shot, and I think after you beat Jacare Souza, you get a title shot. And that part of that also for me, Stefan, is that I really want to see Bobby Knuckles versus Kelvin Gastelum. Not to dismiss Yoel Romero's chances, but Bobby Knuckles is the favorite. I want to. I want to see Bobby Knuckles versus Kelvin Gastelum. Um, Yeah, I'm. What do you think? I'm I'm right.
1: I'm right there with you. Uh, It's they're both kind of similar stories, right? They're guys who came up from welterweight, and so what their skill set at middleweight tends to be a speed and skill advantage uh granted they did it for different reasons uh bobby knuckles sure we chastised him at the time that's a real hindsight 2020 situation we were just clearly wrong about him doing it gasoline he did it because of the weight cut issues but you know i agree uh if if jacaray won it i wouldn't have been surprised i kind of went first round jacaray second round gas third round called a draw i would have loved to see a draw you know i always loved to see draws um yeah his hair was on point he did look a bit deflated um, this is the le- the least jacked Jacare I've seen in some time, but, you know, he's he's getting a little older. Um, you've kind of seen his his gas tank isn't really quite there anymore, and, and these are three-round fights. So in terms of the long-term future of Jacare, that's a little concerning. You know, it's not like he's still going in these five-round main events. So unfortunately, I think his title window may have officially closed um, on Saturday night, so that's kind of the unfortunate side to that. Uh, you know wasn't... what
2: was also unfortunate, man? That one of these guys got half a paycheck. Just want to point that out. A fight that was a, like you flip a coin there. This is a totally different topic, but it just at the end of it, I remember thinking like Jacare got half of his check because, you know, two or three guys thought the other get guy won. Night. Yeah, okay, that's nice and all. They should have gotten that too. I, mean, I don't yeah, know. That, that, that's if a, if that, a, a, I veered off course. Day, like you said, I think it's yeah. a different
1: issue. Um, Sorry about that, but you yeah. know, Gastelum, that. He said going into it he needed to knock out Jacare in the first round to get that title shot. Um, I think he still might get it next anyways, but I think he was at least right. in for me to think he has a chance against Bobby Knuckles, though, he needed to knock out Jacare. And the fact that he did give it up, I think that was a little troubling because he's he started slow in this. Um, he happened to catch jacaray with a big shot which forever altered the course um is he still next in line i think so uh it's hard to it's hard to argue too much i guess you could say you know if weidman was to win impressively there's a little bit of a debate in there but he, does he, he have a fight book stuff on i was gonna ask you do you know if weidman has a fight i thought he did but i can't remember off the top of my head if anyone else can think of it
2: because i'm looking at the way at the rankings here and we got uh yoel uh, i mean after whitaker we got yoel who's getting a title shot jacaray just lost they're trying to book Rockhold and Gustafson, which we've talked about that six million times. Uh, then Weidman and then Gastelum. You got to think Gastelum's ahead of all those people except Yoel, right? Well, he's just, not ahead of
1: Weidman due to their head to head. But if Weidman's inactive or injured or something, I mean, he got to beat. I mean, he beat Jacare.
2: I don't know. I t- rankings make no sense.
1: Yeah, there's like, there's a lot of ways you can do it. Like I said, it's just it's the fact that he eked out kind of this like close decision that I'm not necessarily confident against his chances, but does he deserve the shot? Absolutely.
2: Um, okay, uh, Mike, I want to talk to you about Miss Mackenzie Dern. Uh. Miss Dern rolled into uh, – I picked the right fight for you, brother. Miss um, Dern rolled into this camp with some question marks. Um, invited to leave her team was the words we heard, and I'm like, whew, that doesn't sound great, especially given how professional and everybody, what everybody thinks of John Crouch and the MMA lab and Benson Henderson and that team they built over there. Mackenzie rolled in and weighed 123 pounds. And weighed in with an hour left. Um, we learned today Mackenzie rolled in to Brazil, weighing 139 and a half pounds on Tuesday, meaning she had to lose 17% of her body weight in three days. Uh that aside, it's a good thing Amanda Cooper had nothing for her. Because Mackenzie's got power, man. Mackenzie's got enough for us to be Well talking about I- that. But then again, she fought, she, she fought at flyweight while the other girl fought at strawweight. Yeah. So, what uh, do you think?
0: Well, I mean, my thoughts on that is that you come in at 139 pounds um, into Brazil the day of the, you know, the, the week of, of the fight. I mean, you're on target for weight, that's for sure. Maybe not too on target to fight at 115 pounds. And, yeah, someone's going to look really good when they're fighting a flyweight who actually did all the work to get down to 115 or 116 and you didn't. When you come in seven, eight pounds overweight, yeah, that means that you probably didn't have to suffer nearly as much as your opponent. You're going to be much more hydrated and your body's going to be a lot more at peak physical condition.
2: Mike, um, there are six times that we've had fighters who missed weight in 2018. We have. And, uh, and they have taken, and the fight has uh, still gone on. Do you know what is the record of those six fighters who missed weight?
0: Well, I'm going to pretend that I don't know this, because we've talked about this previously in the last week. So I'll just say, no, Bobby, what is their record?
2: I have no S- idea. Six fucking and oh. What? And I'm looking at... I'm Dominic Cruz. I'm looking at Dominic Cruz. Basically, said... You miss weight is basically cheating. You have an advantage. How much of an advantage? Debatable. You didn't dehydrate yourself, in theory, as much as the other person. Um, Trying to put the weight cut, she, okay, weight cut issues aside. That was the best case scenario for her after that week, right? Like, she probably came out still as a negative, given how bad the weight cut went. But her performance and how it went best case that could have gone right
0: yeah um considering that when she went to weigh in I saw that live and I just thought she looks so nonchalant and so I don't give a shit that I am 123 pounds that that and I mean you guys know how much I love Mackenzie Dern but that put a bad taste in my mouth and it reminded me of when Rumble Johnson showed up for that fight against the Japanese dude way back when. And <laughs> yeah, I
2: remember that. That is a good. That's a memory you and I have. A being in a room with fifteen guys and the fight. They they show up the, like they they show both guys in both quarters and we all just go, "Oh no, oh no."
0: And if I'm right, that was one of the fights that Rumble came in maybe five or six pounds over and i just remember i think it was uh noah noah was at 10 7 7 holy shit and i remember our friend noah if i'm right was there and all he said was wait what that guy's going to fight that guy <laughs> and the only thing that made that fight palatable for anyone who supported rumble was the fact that you come in seven pounds over you better murder this guy and he for sure did and i feel that's what happened with mckenzie you know you come in that much over it better not just be a little ho hum submission and thankfully for her she came through with the knockout
2: she needs to fight at 125 pounds I mean, look,
1: its not entirely different than Yoel Romero, right? Yoel Romero missed weight for an interim title fight, and then he knocked Luke Rockhold right out of the division. You know, if you're gonna miss, you got you, you gotta you gotta go big. Like you said, uh, you kinda, I said you kind of i i accidentally muted myself, but I wanted to chime in because you mentioned Dominic, and I, I told you guys I thought Dominic had the call of the night. That man had the audacity on the desk to make the call I was like. I think it was a strategy for Mackenzie Turn. I think it was her game plan to come in heavy so she would have an advantage. And I'm like, it was her game plan strategy to be a full weight division, give up 30% of her purse, and to get a dominant win. But you know what? In hindsight, wait, is it I, 30%? I, I, no, I thought it was only 20. Uh,
2: I, I think it's whatever you agree to.
1: It was 20, but somehow, like, I heard something about the commission that due to the egregious miss, it wasn't just a miss weight, you know, due to the egregious miss, it somehow got kicked up to 30. But, uh, in any case, like, it's one of those things, we can't prove that Dominic Cruz wasn't right in this scenario based on how things pl- played out. But, yeah, it's, it, it's, like we said, is Dern, she seems likable, but she also has a laissez-faire, like, carefree attitude that she's not really committed to this. And so, while she beat an Amanda Cooper, it's, it really kind of puts a cap on her upward potential, because, to be the best of the best, you got to be pretty damn dedicated at the sport. And even some of the most dedicated, they still come crashing down. So, yeah, it's all good for her right now. But I don't know if Dana Dana White is normally not a person to uh, take bad miss like weight cuts misses like you know lightly. Like and he, wasn't, he wasn't. He wasn't even there. He wasn't even there. He wasn't there. So again, she's getting some passes
0: right now, but. We'll see going forward. I just know I'm very skeptical. The best, Marcus. Uh, the best tweet of the night, though, just had to come from uh, Joey Diaz. When he said, "Soldier, make weight or keep this ass looking like a birthday cake. She went with plan B. Mm.
2: Joey Diaz with ex- expert MMA analysis. Marcus, I want you to give some attention to young man John Lineker. Because I feel we need to appreciate a man that is that small... And is just knocking motherfuckers out because his fighting style is ferocious. Uh, what do you think of his performance uh, on Saturday night? Yeah, no, I thought it was great. And he's always been a very aggressive,
3: you know, a guy that really goes in there and, and tries to get it done, you know, with the hands. And what I've liked and what I've seen in the improvement of uh, John Lineker in his last couple of fights is is really controlling the tank a lot better i think a big knock we had on this guy was sometimes you know he throws hard i mean first first the knock is dude doesn't make weight a lot he has to find a, a weight division that he's comfortable making the weight consistently and isn't dehydrating himself to such a degree that you know the tank isn't all the way full when he gets in there what, what i really liked in this fight is that he went three hard rounds with brian and i want to give brian a uh, Kellerher a lot of credit here too because he wasn't just a tough guy sticking in there and taking some hard licks. This dude was fighting back and and, and getting the better of John in a, in a few instances here and there. But it really was John's uh, forward pressure and uh, his ability to to mix it up, I mean, his combination that he was throwing throughout the night and then ultimately won him the fight was a right hook to the body, a left hook upstairs. And I like that, that, that combination punching with strong hooks. And what I liked about also his punch selection here too is that he was throwing hard, but he was using a lot of his natural momentum going forward, moving side to side to power up the hooks and, and not throw not have to exert extra energy to throw hard punches. You know, he he fought smarter. He was throwing punches more naturally with the hooking style, bobbing left and right, and using the momentum of your body weight to, to add force to your punches instead of just exerting extra energy to push out harder, which tends to gas you quicker. So we, I saw a lot of little tweaks in his game that is making him a stronger fighter. And I think at this point, you know, obviously this guy has been in title contention for a while, but I think coming off these last two fights, making the weight, looking good, having the tank be in there. You know, the uh, Marlin fight he had before this went to decision and this fight went, you know, deep into the third and he was able to get the knockout punch. So I'm really impressed with just really how he's been able to manage his tank while at the same time Still being aggressive as ever and still throwing punches as hard as ever. And, you know, he he had to come up against it a little bit with Brian. He definitely took some shots here, but there's no point in this fight where I thought he was in real danger. Even when he got he got shook a few times and, and ate some clean punches, he never looked like he was in big danger. Um obviously he got a big knockdown in the second, was able to finish it in the third. So uh no, it looked great. You know, I, I think he's just he's maturing as a fighter. And I feel like he's getting better at just managing the stamina and knowing when to explode, when to go after it, and when to kind of lay off and, and recuperate a little bit. So just a smarter fighter overall.
2: Um, Now, the curtain jerker. This is where I came with the stats, boys. Leota Machida, Vitor Belfort. Vitor Belfort becomes the first man to lose two fights by front kick to the fucking face knockout. All right? Leoto Machida becomes the first man to knock two people out with front kick knockouts. Leoto Machida becomes the first man to retire two people with front kicks to the fucking face. Um if you didn't see it. Man, you saw Anderson versus Leo versus uh, Vitor. That happened right in the face. And Vitor looked like he died. Um
0: that's a lot of history from like the first kick you learn in karate.
2: If I'm Vitor, I'm pretty happy I didn't lose a tooth the way Randy Couture did. Um So yeah. Nothing happened in the first round. They all looked at each other. Vitor showed up to this uh event wearing a bathrobe, walking around fight week. Um said he's not retired because he doesn't get anything for retiring, but he's gonna go look for a job, I guess. Um Stefan, I'm gonna give you two to one odds here. I'll pay out two to one Vitor uh if Vitor is not fighting somewhere in 18 months. Do you take that bet? <laughs> Isn't
1: Vitor versus Fedor what we're building up to now? I mean TRT Vitor, right? Uh, yeah, why not, man? I don't want to talk about Vitor. I want to talk about Leoto. That was fucking badass. That was so Vitor cool, man. Was shot dead on his back, and Leoto just stands there and bows over his That's pretty boxed. body. Like, yeah, let's not talk about Vitor. Let's talk about Leoto. That was I mean. Granted, it was against another older dude, so I'm not gonna say the dragon uh, era is back or anything, but hey, the man had a vintage moment, and just the picture of that, the straight mark the straight karate kick, the karate bow and the kneel to kind of like check on his countrymen, like Leoto always a class act. Glad to see him get like such a nice knockout, you know. I think that's
0: more badass than the uh walk away KO by Mark Hunt.
2: Ah, uh, no, see, I don't know, because it depends which walk away we're talking about. The first one with Mark Hunt was wonderful when he did it against that uh, Tusharer guy, where it looked like Mark was just like, he kind of wanted to follow it up, but he's like, well, fuck it, this guy's done. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. the reason I say is because he pretty much
0: started bowing almost at the same, almost right before the, the ref went to wave off the fight. Like, he knew instantly that fight was over.
2: Yeah, he he. I, that was just I. I'm gonna miss Lyoto when he's all said and done. Even though the first five minutes of this fight was people looking at each other. Uh, Vitor's gonna fight again. Come on, guys. We all know it. Um, I hope he. I don't know. Who, who's, who does Ryzen have? You can send him to Ryzen. Send him to I, I really
0: hope he goes to Ryzen. I really hope he goes to Bellator because I want to see the rise like a phoenix from the ashes of TRT Vitor. I was showing the friends I was watching that fight with uh, on Saturday, before and after pictures of TRT Vitor and then Vitor now, and one of the girls said, "That's not the same guy." So TRT sounds Vitor, about right. I really hope he comes back.
2: Yeah. Um. All right. Machida's Machida's got two straight wins now. He beat that uh, young guy Anders. Got a win over Vitor here. Um. Uh, just worth mentioning from the prelims that Alexio Olenek's old ass keeps Ezekiel choking people, and they all should know better, but, uh, this was a good time, man, and I'm looking at the prelims, I kinda wish I watched some of these, cause there is two decisions on this whole fucking card, people came to fight, man, and, uh, the crowd got a good show, Stefan mentioned Gastelum and Jacare fight of the night, or Mark, I am apologize which one of you guys mentioned it, performances of the night, Alexio Olenek with his Ezekiel choke. Leoto Machito with his front kick to the fucking face. Um, yeah. Um, before we could talk about the rest of the news of the week, Bellator happened. And um, the things we want to point out from Bellator, I think, Marcus, more than anything else, is that King Mo got dropped with the first thing he got hit with, and the fight was over 15 seconds later. And now he says he wants to be a middleweight. King Mo's your guy, Marcus? Is it... I mean... Do we just say, hey, man, too little, too late with this weight cut, with this weight change, or do you think we can still do something here?
3: I mean, yeah, it, it seems drastic. I mean, he was never a <laughs> – he should never be fighting at heavyweight, but he did for a while. And, I mean, 205 seems like the more natural fit. Um, Him cutting down to 85 this late in his – I don't want to say this late in his career because his career hasn't been going on that long, but this late in his life. I think he's getting close to pushing 40. I think you know a drastic cut like that could – you know, have could not be the motivator he needs. I, I think a lot of times fighters, when they're not having success, think that if I make a drastic change to move down a weight division, um, you know, maybe my career will take a sudden turn. And, and sometimes, sometimes it's true, and a lot of times it's not. You know, I think this this decision for him to go to middleweight reminds me a lot of Rashad Evans. Right, the guy just couldn't keep up with, with the the division that you know was best suited for him. And then he's going, well, I guess Rashad is a little different. Rashad was a little smaller and 85 seemed like a more natural fit for a while. Um, I don't know if the same is uh, the same with King Mo, but really at this stage, I mean, we, at the same time, I, we all thought Bader was going to beat him. So it wasn't, it was a little surprising how quickly it came, but the result wasn't that surprising. I mean, if he wants to go to middleweight and he
2: thinks he can make it, I mean, more power to Well, two, Marcus, it
3: just seems dangerous. we got a we yeah. got a
2: variable here, Marcus, to discuss. Is that Rafael Carvalho, which is our middleweight champion, is going to fight uh, Gegard Mousasi, and Gegard Mousasi lost his strike force light heavyweight title. It was light
3: heavyweight,
2: light heavyweight title mm-hmm. to King Mo. Though many of us who had eyes and watched that fight thought, "Man, King Mo got his ass whooped for twenty five minutes off while well, while Gegard was on his back," but. There's that. Um, and Kagar's fighting for the title in 2 weeks. So that might be something that's in King Mo's head. Not that King Mo I feel gives a shit enough to be a champion. I think he's just trying to keep the train on the tracks at this point. I, mean, to see what I he don't can do.
3: I don't I mean it's Bellator so who knows I and mean, we've seen guys get title shots coming off losses potentially. I think Melvin might have gotten one of those. I'm not even totally sure, but I think if, you know, if I was managing King Mo's career and he's set on this middleweight uh, you know, uh, cut weight, then I would say he needs at least a tune up fight. Let's just see if the dude could, could beat the scale and how he looks inside the, inside the, the cage before I throw him against a champion. Uh, but, you know, it's Bellator. And if King Mo can get one decent win over a guy with somewhat of a profile, I mean, sure, they could throw him in there for a title shot. I,
2: I think I think we got to give King Mo uh, the rampage treatment, give him his own weight class. I think 195. We do that. You know, give him a Franklin weight fight. I don't really Leo. know what the I, I don't know if, if they're so invested in
3: King Mo that we need to be making a special division. Didn't
2: they for- uh, didn't they sign Vanderlay? Isn't that a thing? Can Vanderlay fight yet? Can Vanderlei fight King Mo in 195?
3: Oh, that'd be an interesting fight. I mean, there's still interesting uh. fights. I don't know if the guy necessarily needs to think about hanging it up. I, I think it. I wouldn't, you know, flaw him if he did at this point in his career. You know, it's not really going anywhere significant you know right now but if he's still motivated to train and he thinks he still has something left to give but i do think at the same time king mo has that kind of mentality he kind of reminds me of a ken shamrock i think when this dude's 65 he's still gonna think he can go in there and compete with the best because he's just that kind of athlete he has that kind of self-worth in himself that he thinks he could beat anyone on any given day and the only reason why he loses is circumstance or bad luck or small things in his game that he could tweak but for me, it's just like, I don't know. I don't really know where King Mo can go from here. You know, when he first started in MMA, the sky was the limit. He was a, it was a guy with explosive energy, and he seemed like he had a strong skill set. But now, many years removed, many losses and knockouts coming his way, that ship has kind of sailed, and I don't really know how far he can go in any division. And I don't know if making the cut to middleweight is the right move. But, you no, know, who knows? You know, maybe he makes the cut. He's super strong. He's still fucking fast as shit. His hands are have the same power they have at, at heavyweight that he was dropping guys with. Uh, who, uh, who am I to say that he doesn't have anything left in the tank? But at this point, I'm starting to question it more than ever. So,
2: um, rest of this card, I want to point out a couple of things. Adam Piccolotti, our guy Piccolotti, which hell, I think. I mean, I think Mark and I have seen him fight live like four times. Stefan's seen him fight live at least two, three times. Up and coming kid, got a big win. Got a big win. Czech Congo got a knockout. Uh, Aaron Pico fought a guy who try to fight like the Tasmanian devil and try to shoot on him. Real dumb. Knock that dude out. But Stefan, there's one thing to point out here about the John Fish Paul Daly fight and one thing only. Why don't you tell the folks what they missed out while watching, you know, UFC put on a pretty good pay-per-view.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean it's we're setting up that we're a bag on him a little bit, but as a fighter, I've always kind of been a fan of Paul Daly, but this is a man who has audacity. He had the audacity to take a swing after a fighter after having, you know, three full rounds to actually fight him. And he had the audacity to, while being wrestled on the ground, to just be booing the fight, saying how boring it is, like screaming at the management about like this is stupid, and like, yeah, I've tall daily. I mean at some point you figured you'd learn how to kind of counter wrestle a little bit, but at the end of the day he is what he is, and that's basically a kickboxer walking around in an MMA cage. But uh, hats off, Paul Daly. You found a way to bring a highlight in an otherwise
2: predictably boring match? John Fish said that he thought he viewed it as the crowd booing Paul Daly, which I'm like, it's not what they were doing, John. But okay. Mike, I'm coming to you with the nonsense. Uh, Some of it more real than others. Part A, they're making some weird 50 Cent vs. Rampage rumors in Bellator. That's a thing. But really, part B... Chuck Liddell said he's fighting Tito Ortiz this year, and Golden Boy Promotions is going to promote it. So, and then he said he wants to fight two or three times, and he wants to fight John Jones. John Jones, of which, has already weighed in on this matter. Which uh, John Jones says, Old Chuck has been calling me out for years. I get it. I hold pretty much every record in division. I normally try to respect my elders. But if you want to come get it, I'd literally fly you out to Albuquerque this weekend. So I give you a lot, to, a lot to unpack, Mike, but I'm giving you carte blanche. Chuck, Tito, Oscar De La Hoya, Golden Boy, John Jones, 50 Cent, Rampage. The Nonsense Minute, Mike. Give it a, give it a shot.
0: <laughs> I love it, man. Uh, you're probably thinking I'm going to go with some indignation, some this is just a travesty for the sport. Nah, I dig it, man. I love it. And you know what? Because we've seen worse. I mean, didn't we just have last year Frank Shamrock fight? Frank Shamrock, I'm pretty sure, has a five in the front of his Ten. age, right? Ken. Same shit. Whatever. They both suck at this point. Ken Shamrock. Then. All right. Ken Frank. They're both one syllable. All right. Does Frank still have those braces? He doesn't have those braces. Right. All right. Anyway. Ken got a goddamn five at the front of his name. So you know what? It's not out of the stretch of the imagination that a forty-eight year old still wants to fight. And you know what? Like I keep saying with Bellator. They allow steroids. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So you know what? We might be seeing a new and improved Chuck Liddell. And, I mean, that's just nonsense about him going to fight John Jones. But, you know, it makes for good copy.
2: Fair enough. Uh, So, yeah. I'll give you guys the – well, I'll pledge you this, it's some amazing fans. They're saying they're doing this in California or Vegas. If they do this in Northern California, we will try to cover it. Assuming I can get any one of these guys to agree to go do it with me. We will try to get press credentials to Chuck Liddell Tito Ortiz. All right? I'm not going alone. (laughs) Maybe Mike's going to fly here and he's going to go with me because Stefan and Mike are giving me looks like uh, – Stefan and Mark give me looks like, oh, no, man. I don't know. Maybe you can
1: uh, recruit Victor, the official uh, It's an Amazing photographer.
2: No, you know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, they, they, they gotta find a way to put some uh, put Fedor on this undercard somewhere or another. I'll get Max to join us. Our friend Max. He'll, that's what he'll join us with. The, uh,
0: depending so, on when this fight could potentially be, and if we get press credentials. Because okay, so yeah. I'm not paying for um, this
2: shit. I said we're gonna talk about some stuff, but it's gonna be real brief and see if the guys have any real comment on this. Um, Nate Diaz wants to fight, but he wants it to be someone interesting. And then him and his brother reiterated that GSP poisoned. Or somebody poisoned Nick Diaz before their fight in uh, UFC 158. Any thoughts from anybody?
1: I've missed the Diaz conspiracy theories, that's all.
0: <laughs> they smoke some you know good what? shit up in North Cali.
2: We do. Um, also, uh, Yair Rodriguez appears to have gotten cut for not taking fights. Um, This one bothered okay. me a
1: little
2: bit. Yeah, so I, it, I didn't like, it like that. Just like... 15 months ago, this man was the face of Mexico, the Mexican uh, MMA movement. Um. They also asked him to fight that Zabit guy, who Zabit's a crazy good fighter, and he's not ranked on any level. And Yair's like seven, I think. Like it was, it's pretty, I I think, it also became like a dick measuring contest, which I'm not sure you guys saw this thing where where like Dana White went on that, uh, you know, state-run podcast, uh, UFC Unfiltered, and said that they want to, he wants to book all these fights, including Nate GSP, uh, Rockhold, Gustafson, and uh, Yair versus uh, I already forgot the dude's name. Fuck, the tough dude Mago. Zabit, yeah, Zabit. Um, and he wants to book them all for LA. And uh, Yair retweeted it and said hashtag fake news. And then they cut him. And Dana White tweeted real news, which while is a nice dig, is really not a way to run a fucking fight promotion. So um, yeah, Stefan, you were saying you weren't ter- terribly thrilled with this. Me neither. So, but go ahead. Um, yeah, just that is he's, he's a really good
1: prospect. He's he's not going to be lacking pursuers. I expect him, you know, Bellator or Ryzen to make him offers immediately. Um, and you see, he's an exciting fighter. You know, it's just it's just a travesty to me because he's been gone for one year. We've had we've seen a lot longer layoffs for people. Connor. You know, um, yeah,
2: Mark, Mark, we should have, Yair should have just thrown his fucking dolly through the bus window. He would have kept his job, right? If he, you know, that would have been the move. Well, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's in
3: bad taste because of the tweets, right? And because he was just, I guess, I mean, how long ago was that podcast? Like a week ago? He was talking about how he wanted to promote this guy. And then the guy says something on Twitter. And then the reaction is, oh, now you're cut. So it just seems like something that was extremely petty. And it just seems, it it seems like it's in, I mean, it's our year's best interest because I think if he does go to Bellator Horizon, I I have to imagine that there's going to be somewhat of a pay cut. And if it's not a pay cut, the ceiling of growth is going to be lessened than what he could doing the UFC, right? If he's stuck in the UFC, won some fights, got a title shot, got a title, he's going to make a lot more money in that avenue than he would, you know, being the the big fish in the small pond that would, may be Bellator or Ryzen for him. So it's not in his best interest to get cut and it's not in UFCs. They've spent money advertising this guy. They put him in a fight against BJ Penn and kind of bolstered his kind of Uh, aura in his repertoire and his no ability with the common fan so it just seems kind of like it seems really in not in their best interest to have marketed this guy have put him in strategic positions to make him a bigger star and then just sweep him off the 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 board altogether because there's some petty shit going back and forth and i feel like if he would have got cut without the tweets going back and forth we don't really know why it's like okay there could be some more stuff maybe he is dodging a lot of fights or whatever but it really just seems like dude had one tweet And it kind of like just ruffled Dana. And he's like, well, fuck this guy. We don't need this. Fuck that fight. He's out of here. You know, it just seemed like a real rash decision for him to come to based off a tweet that, I mean, people are going to do that. And at the same time, we know the UFC kind of does this with guys, right? They'll say like, oh, yeah, we're going to make this match with this guy without consulting the fighter. And they're kind of like, what the fuck? I didn't agree to this. When is this fight going to happen? Am I going to have time to set up a camp? You know, there's all these X factors in the background that we don't know about, right, that the UFC brass and the fighters do know about. And when stuff like this happens, we can kind of draw this line where it's like, this guy tweeted this, and then he got fired. It kind of makes the whole case like, well, did you fire him because he made a tweet? Because that's kind of a bull to fire someone. And then even more like what you said, Bobby, then to kind of punch back and be like real news. It's like, well, you're not really getting the higher ground on this. You just fired a guy because he had a tweet that you disagreed with. It's kind of bull.
2: Man, you're, f- you're 50 years old. Act like a fucking adult. Exactly. So you it's know? just it, – Act, it, like, a, act a like a goddamn
3: adult. Mouth. And it's just I think the ultimate – thing that sucks the most is
2: like this kid had a lot of potential he's starting to come up you 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 want him to think this shit out a little bit man because i'm like i'm we were sitting there watching bellator for a minute i'm just like in a world where 205 is a garbage wasteland of division ryan bader who's lost one fucking fight in five years and is 10 and 1 in that time frame they just let him walk out the door they could probably use They've them. They could use lot these dudes.
3: Walk out the door. You know,
2: crazy. we just we just sign up for fifteen, whatever number of fight cards. I signed up for on ESPN Plus. How many are going to be on a TV deal? How many pay per views? We got a card this weekend, which there are two fights worth watching. All right, two, and there's way more than that on TV. So maybe you know we think this out a little bit. We don't just get into you know a petty contest, a petty you know I said a dick measuring contest with a 26 year old or whatever old year is. Yeah, I agree. Um let's uh
0: just uh, some more stats from rodriguez six and one in the usc one tough has two fight of the night bonuses two performance of the night bonuses and speaks he did
2: english and speaks english fluently spanish fluently he's a good, look, good looking good looking kid dude. yeah it makes uh, no it's,
0: and also it's, he didn't get cut um it wasn't a year it was actually two days before a year I mean,
2: and he got his ass whooped against Frankie Edgar. That was one yeah. of those ones I remember. Stefan and Mark and all of us we talked about how like maybe we we got to reevaluate some stuff here and get our shit in order before we come back after getting pushed that quickly. And you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I he, he was I, uh, he like was it.
0: likely medically suspended for four four or five months. So if you really want to be technical, he was probably not fighting for six months. If you want to be, you know, if you want to. Just talk about actual timelines.
2: Yeah, that's fair. Um, I mentioned the card that's this weekend. I'm gonna mention the fights that are really worth your time. I'm now thinking maybe a third one might be. We're not gonna officially pick this thing because oh, we're not doesn't deserve that much attention. No, we're not.
0: Oh, so um, I, I made I made a post for nothing then. Okay, no. thank you. It was
2: too well deleted. I said we weren't going to. Um, Damian Maya's old ass. I love him, but Damian Maya's gonna take on Kamaru Usman. And nobody wants to fight Kamaru Usman. Kamaru Usman is a bad man. Um, and he has not lost in the UFC. And I'm not talking like 2-0. Oh. He has 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and fucking 0. Oh. Um, this is a rough one for Damien. Um, that's what. That's the main event. We got Alexa Grosso taking on Tatiano Suarez. Suarez is a big favorite in this one. Uh fantastic wrestler i'm imagining the odds makers see her putting alex on her ass and i said possibly a third fight because oh no we don't never mind i thought jared jared cannon is winning more fights than he is those two fights um anything stick out to you guys about uh, those two those top two matchups besides kamaru usman being a murderer
1: um i'd like to see usman be impressive uh, i i'd heard his name i admitted i hadn't seen a lot of his fights and the fight I find None of that 30% shit. was the uh, 30% fiasco. So um, if Kamaru Usman is the man everyone keeps saying he is, I'd like to see him win impressively. But then again, he's fighting Damian Maya. Not too many people beat Damian Maya impressively. So it's, this could be another one of those decisions. I, you know, I, heard, I, I called that what was going to happen last week. We'll see if Usman can put anything on him. But um,
0: yeah, it, it could be ugly.
2: Has one person looked good? Has it has been exactly one person looked good beating Damian Maya, huh?
0: Well, since we're not officially <laughs> picking this fight, Nate Marquardt... Nate
2: Marquardt. Yeah, oh, okay. Nate Marquardt. Oh, that, that was a, right was off a- the-, the
0: Bobby Hype train, remember?
2: Yeah, you know, Rory didn't look that bad. Because Rory came back from getting mounted in the first round, which was impressive that he came back and won that fight. But even then, it wasn't that, you know... It's, it's like it's like when people... Fight. I mean, yeah, it's he's hard to look good against. And then, I uh, just.
1: And then just for the record, I'm rolling. I don't care if she's a plus 320 underdog. I'm rolling with Alexa Grosso. She does have good takedown defense, so uh, I like her to get on point with her boxing. I think um, she's one of the few fighters I follow on social media, and I know she's been putting in a lot of work since that Felice Herrig kind of tempered her expectations, but um, plus 320, that seems crazy to me. Uh, I still I still lot yeah. Grosso on this one.
2: I think we really came away from her last fight thinking we want her to be a little bit more aggressive, really, more than anything else. Try to get off first. You know, try to really be aggressive. Because that seemed like Felice was just getting off first and not so maybe not the wording isn't correct that she wanted it more, but she was pushing harder, at least for the victory. Um was there anything else I said we're gonna talk about, or can we do nah, memoirs nah, of a fight nah, fan? Nah, this card's about it. Yeah, uh memoirs of a fight fan. Um Mike, this was your idea after we uh after it was announced today, Supreme Court may have said that the federal ban on sports betting is unconstitutional. And New Jersey's fucking ready. New Jersey's about to open some sports books online in the next two hours. They 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 built a facility like three years ago waiting for this. Um so Mike, what was it exactly you wanted to us to pick our pick? Yes. So uh so in honor of
0: today, um, the united states supreme court um allowing uh basically sports books to be allowed all throughout the country
2: i'm experiencing an earthquake
0: so i mean so three <laughs> of yeah. you are experiencing it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Is, uh, yeah,
1: is anyone else's ass shaking right now like yeah i was gonna say should... i was We're just looking good? at christine like did you feel that earthquake just happened She's like no, I have no idea. <laughs> well, we're uh, three of us are from California. If you didn't already know, we're from the land of earthquakes. Fuck your snowstorms. The earth shaking is the scariest phenomena that there is. Still, one of the we best were preparing for the Fresh
0: prince.
2: We were preparing for the our house plan, which is run outside towards the staircase as fast as humanly possible. Get the fuck out of here. But uh, things it seems like we're okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, where were we? Right. Um, so, Mike, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> So, in honor
0: of uh, basically sports books being allowed all throughout the uh, the country, I threw out in our chat that uh, what we should do is our most memorable either sports betting win or loss. And if you will, I guess I can. I'll start it off. Um, I'm gonna go with a sports betting loss that cost me about five thousand um, dollars, and sadly. It was Nate Diaz who cost me this money. And he cost me this money while making me happy at the same time. Because it was the first Nate Diaz-Conor McGregor fight. And I went on DraftKings. And I stopped being cheap for that particular um, game. And I actually bet the $20 dollars uh, pick em game. In, in DraftKings. And I bet like two underdogs. And I had my first four matches one, All of them with knockouts. Right? Um, and I thought it was for sure. Especially when Misha Tate came right at the end and got the submission. If I'm right, that was the, uh, the infamous plums night. Um, and all I had left was conor mcgregor nate diaz and conor mcgregor had been knocking everybody out at this point and as much as it pained me i thought i mean nate diaz is rolling off the couch or wherever the hell he's coming off of
2: a (laughs) boat in mexico tequila in hand
0: (laughs) yes you know less than a week before the fight uh, Conor's been training. Conor doesn't have to cut that much weight now. I mean, it was it was here, money on a platter. But I guess what I didn't consider is that maybe Conor's power from 145 doesn't translate nearly as good when he's fighting someone at 170 pounds. And it was very mixed emotions when Nate Diaz choked out Conor McGregor because I was so happy for Conor. But the next thing I told Phil was, "Man, this is bullshit." To which Phil said, "But aren't you happy, Nate Diaz won?" And I said, "Nate Diaz isn't paid off by student loans. If Nate Diaz I was gonna lost say that's fight, that that's not five thousand dollars. Happy, okay? <laughs> if, if Nate Diaz lost this fight, he was still gonna get paid. How
2: about me? Fair." Um. Stefan, I'm gonna make a request of you because you were the one I did this to in person, it, at a pita sandwich place that no longer exists, where I cost everybody except Mike on this podcast money. So well, before, if you have to give another one, that's fine too, but please explain that one first.
1: Oh yeah, that's not the one I was gonna go. with. I was gonna go with the win. I wanna, um, but uh, this is the loss I always hold against you. I believe if we're uh, going to it is um, Anderson Silva. Decided to have a dalliance with the two hundred five light heavyweight division. We had seen him fight a uh, a James Irvin, a kind of you know journeyman, tough guy, nobody. But uh, in this in this foray into the one hundred five or two hundred five territory, he was fighting former champion Forrest Griffin. We're talking about a champion. This is not just any two hundred five. This is the champion who took the belt from Rampage Jackson. Oh man, Forrest is a naturally big guy too. He's probably carrying around 230, 240. He's not going to be a small 205er. He's got a chance, you know. Anderson, he's never dealt with this kind of size, this kind of power. And Forrest. 3 to 1! Forrest is <laughs> 3 to 1 right? against! Forrest is <laughs> scrappy. You don't style on Forrest. He's in every fight, <laughs> he's got the heart of a warrior. And then we saw a man, what do you want to call it? He, he entered the Matrix, he ascended to the Super Saiyan level, he was Pootie Tang himself. He froze time. It's like any any superpower reference you want to call it. Anderson Silva had it that night. He video gamed the fuck out of Forrest Griffin that night. I don't. Know, that was. It's 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 one thing to be wrong. You know, we call fights wrong. This was a different stratosphere.
2: This was. It was the most wrong I've ever been about anything. And literally, I think I literally told you he's a three to one. He's a three to one underdog. He, he was just the champion. He's huge.
1: Man, he's I gonna mean, win <laughs> our buddy eddie our buddy eddie was with us and eddie doesn't really care about fighting doesn't like betting anything he to be honest he's a little he's a little cheap when it comes to gambling so uh, all of us where we put down probably decent sums for uh considering the time i remember eddie put 20 bucks down on it and for the rest of the weekend he was so mad at you about that 20 dollars, just because he's like Bobby knows MMA. He watches it all the time. He's got it. Yeah, Bobby
2: was at Bobby was out one hundred and fifty dollars, I think, or one hundred and twenty at least. And I was because I was hot that weekend. I'd want all this money on slots. I'm like, fuck it, let's go hundred bucks, whatever on Forest. Uh, Eddie yeah, was and he's blaming mad, me,
1: Bob, because you actually also one of the times you uh, you sniped his uh, you sniped his slot machine. And he ran out of twenty dollars. He went to he went to go get change so he could continue. You went to the machine that he was playing, and you immediately won on the next roll.
2: Like a gangster. Yeah, I know, I did that. <laughs> uh, uh, you had you had a happier one. You wanted to point out. Yeah, that out,
1: though. one was the one I was going. I was going to go with a happier one. Um, it was a particular weekend where I let it ride quite a bit, and uh, I came away like I think I came away plus like three between three and four grand that weekend. And it was one of my most successful times. Um, and part of it is on one of my parlays, I got Mark to come along for the ride. And Mark joined me on this. I, I called it the uh, the realistic underdog three-fight parlay. I believe it was Connor McGregor, um, Gunnar Nelson, and for the life of me, I can't remember who the third one was. But I just remember sitting there talking with Mark. It was like probably four three four hours before the fight and we were just deciding who wanted to make extra bets. and i was just telling mark i'm like all these underdogs seem real credible to win like i'm pretty sure all these guys have a legit shot like Gunnar nelson at like you know plus 200 i'm like i kind of think he's gonna win and he sure enough he got that knockout um mark joined me for the ride and like i was so happy and then that was one of those crazy weekends where they were doing a card the following day and i was coming off of such a high i'm like you know what Let's let it ride. I'm gonna put, you know, let's do another three, like couple hundred dollars on a 3 5 parlay. I believe it was like Mosfidal, Wonder Boy, spin kicking the head off of um, what's his name, uh, uh, J. Ellenberger, Ellenberger, and uh, and then Karate Hottie making a uh, one. I don't know. I don't remember if it was her debut, but it was one of her earliest UFC fights. And really, I just wanted an excuse to bet on her. And sure enough, on that last day we had in Vegas, coming off of one of my better parlay days, I hit another one. So. Um, That was probably like luck was with me the best on that weekend Um, And again, I got to cheer for all these fighters. I liked, you know One of the dirty thing about fight betting is you're not all betting for the occasion the outcome your heart wants Sometimes you're just trying to take the smart money the smart pick But on that weekend uh, all the ones I was cheering for won, and they won me money. So that was pretty sweet
2: Yeah, that was the one where I tried to copy your bet, but I misread it or something and I picked I picked who did Jer- Jeremy Stevens fought somebody and Jeremy Stevens showed up like eight pounds over on, uh,
1: the flying knee on uh what's his face the one who had the kid but wasn't his? Um, oh Bermudez, something. Bermudez, Bermudez yeah. yeah. But I didn't like
2: I. I thought I was copying yours because I'm like yeah I'm on board. That wasn't making sense and I wrote the wrong number. And I misread like, that one too. out.
1: I'm like I felt too nervous about that one. Oh there. that
2: shit cost me like three grand. Um okay I go a happy one. Um this is one where we all made money. UFC 126. Um headlined by Anderson and Vitor, topical, given what happened on Saturday night. We had a six-fight parlay, which was all favorites. I think it ended up paying like six or seven to one. But, like, the second or third fight was Jake Ellenberger versus uh, something Hocha. What was his name? Something Hocha. Carlos
1: Eduardo Uh, Hocha.
2: Carlos Eduardo Hocha. All right, So, they're fighting, and it's one of those fights where a guy's a jiu-jitsu guy, and he's going for subs, and Jake's fighting them off, and we're real nervous and I'm sitting next to Mike and like they're announcing the scorecards and I think the first judge uh, like the first judge was like 29-28 Ellenberger and then the second one's like 30-27 Hocha and that's when me and Mike started hugging. We're like, "Oh no. Oh no." <laughs> and then uh, they're like, "Oh, 29-28 Ellenberger." And then the four of us celebrated more than anybody else in that arena for this preliminary fight that our parlay was still alive. Like, we were so happy. And then uh, Anderson kicked Vitor in the face and I finished off our parlay. And I remember Mike half trying to talk to uh, Jake Ellenberger's family afterwards about his family. Like, we bet on you, and you're just like, your, fa- your brother came through or something. <laughs> like, no, it was real rookie, awkward.
1: Rookie mistake by Mike there. First yeah. first, no athlete or athlete's family or loved ones gives a shit about your bet. <laughs> Yeah, they're just happy their
2: guy didn't like their guy didn't get brain damage tonight but, or
0: something. But they should be happy, you know, because their family member won. And you know, I feel like I was a part
2: of their happiness. And so did this stranger. <laughs> um Mark, let's round it out with you. You got any happy or sad memories from gambling? Uh, yeah, I mean there there's definitely I think
3: some of the stuff that you guys touched on. We had we had some good wins in uh, Vegas betting on fights, and there's been some tough losses too. But the ones I wanted to kind of shed a light on or uh, I, I guess this first one would kind of be my first forte or first stepping, dip my toe into kind of betting on fights. And this was just a friendly uh, wager I had with a roommate's friend. This was in college, and this was kind of before when we started doing the podcast. I mean, I think I was doing stuff for the college radio, but this is, you know, I, I, I wouldn't run across a lot of people that followed MMA. So I met this guy. He, he He's followed UFC, and we were talking about fights and stuff. And the, and the first one we bet on, was uh anderson and rich franklin now watching anderson fight in pride and then seeing what he just did to chris lieben it was just like it it was the writing was on the wall that this guy was something special and he was going to do a lot in the ufc so i was very comfortable taking that fight with rich franklin uh he won that fight and i I don't maybe this was before or after we also bet on uh the jackson liddell fight so these two fights also kind of um solidified my love for pride and these guys coming into the ufc and hoping they do well because not all of them did uh but it was also the first time that you know i kind of ran across another kid that kind of followed the sport and we were kind of you know putting our money where our mouth was and kind of you know analyzing the fights and it was fun just to win those and just to, to, to meet another person that followed the sport and be like I got you on these ones, you know, I I knew these guys a little bit better, and I was able to make, you know, better bets off it, and to be honest, I don't know if I ever got that money, because it was 20 for the first, and we doubled it up for the the second, I don't think I ever got that money from that guy, but uh, it's all in good fun, and that kind of, you know, kind of got me the first taste, and uh, I think the other one, the other ones I wanted to mention, they weren't for money, they were just fights that I picked a guy that logically i didn't really have a strong footing for why they would win the fight just in my head when i picture the outcome of this fight i just saw them getting their hands raised and the first one was when frankie fought bj penn for the first time for some reason i was like i just at the end of that fight i just see frankie in the center getting his hand raised on that one and he was able to win that fight controversial as it may be and the other one was uh, unfortunately the one that that mike picked with nate and connor uh, that one wasn't so much that I picked – Just there was just some gut feeling I had. I was just like, you know what, I think – logically connor probably has a good shot at knocking him out but i just i like nate in this one and you know that we all know how that fight turned out so sometimes it's just i I like sometimes when i pick these fights just to kind of imagine in my head like who do you see when this is all said and done when i'm looking into my crystal ball just looking to the future not how it's going to get done or what skill set they're going to use to win the fight who is going to stand there and get their arm raised and a couple of times i've had these visions of guys just winning and sometimes it turns out to be true and i think that's kind of a weird thing to happen. I can't really explain why I saw those things. And it's not like I have some special ability or anything like that. But uh, it's just interesting. Like I just pick those guys on a gut reaction. And they turn out to be right. And It's kind of interesting when that happens.
1: I had a couple more, uh, if you don't mind me chiming in, just because um, no one brought it up. And it, in terms of our emotional roller coaster, do y'all remember our parlay with Uriah Hall? And Uriah Hall's bone sticking out oh, of God. <laughs> Like and We're like, please don't stop the fight. And then his corner saying, Oh, he came out like that. It was already like that at the start of the fight. And like he somehow got through it. I don't remember how that parlay even played out, but I just remember you're No, we we hit the, we hit
2: the parlay, but I remember like we were just like, "Don't stop it. Don't stop it. Please don't I mean, stop yeah, it." Yeah, that
1: that's that just made us forever fans. Um and then just a cool moment just cuz I just thought it was a really cool moment. I can't remember what the bet was associated. I don't know if it hit all the way, but um we were at a sport book one time making our bets as we do, and uh we met Judo Jean Labelle, the let the man I was hoping the I the was hoping you'd bring that up. Yeah, that legend. was a big one. And- not it was, he he was he was nice we we chatted with him for a second he took a photo with us but my lasting memory is dude walked in like he was the monopoly man himself i swear to god he put like a hundred large on Rhonda and no, he, no, no no i remember i remember, and I remember exactly out and like the lady has to get bills
2: and bills and bills and the man is just like rolling back his stacks of cash like do you remember we were we were trying to do the math because he won eight thousand three hundred and thirty three dollars and thirty three cents? Sorry for putting his business out there, but I saw it. And we were like, Ronda was like a nine to one favorite. How much fucking money did he bet on her? I mean, yeah, to win eight grand,
1: you're essentially betting eighty grand to win eight. Like, you're confident. You're confident. I mean, we all pick, we're picking Ronda on that day, but just seeing Mister Moneybags here, right there. But I mean, who's gonna take it from him? That dude will throw you through that uh, craft stable in you know, a heartbeat. But uh. Was, that was just a cool uh, cool one to me. You know you normally normally these sport books are filled with degenerates like ourselves. So to see to see a martial arts legend like that guy,
2: uh that was really cool. Um alright, let's do uh let's do stuff we like. Um, Ooh, wait, before. The thing we always forget to do, we
3: we wanna plug you guys, hitting us up, giving us some ideas, cause Mike and Steph can't, they're going to run out of ideas and we need people that are listening to chime in, give us your two cents. So Bobby, the, the gmails, it's amazing at gmail.com. And you can always yep, yep. hit us up at uh, it's m amazing on Twitter. Just add us, uh, give us your suggestions, Bobby, you know, he's on that shit all the time. Uh, and you know, we've, we've had some fan responses. Uh, obviously that one guy told us about cam soda, right? And that was completely <laughs> off the radar. So obviously if you're listening to the show and you want to contribute we want to hear from you guys. And, you know, even if it's not related to memoirs of a fight fan, if there's just some topic we didn't get to during a week and you'd love to hear us kind of talk about it or even something outside of MMA, obviously we do stuff we like at the end and we talk about whatever. Um, but yeah, we want to hear from you guys if you know if you want to be part of the show and, and give us your two cents, you know, we'd love to shout you out and give you props and uh, get a conversation going. So yeah, just hit us up on uh, Gmail at it'sam Amazing at Gmail or on Twitter at it's M-Amazing.
0: And the, right on. And for those uh, of you that aren't aren't sure, no apostrophe in the email. So that's I T S M M A Z I N G.
2: Nice clarification. Thank you, Mike. Um, yeah. Um, so before we go, actually, I um, my stuff we like. We can call it stuff we like or we don't. It's not really appropriate, so I'm just gonna say I'm gonna take my time real quickly. Um, so Ray Borg um has got a real situation going on with his family. Ray Borg um, was going to fight on that card, and then he got glass in his eye and that whole thing, and then he was going to fight another card, but his his wife or fiancé gave birth to uh, little Anthony Borg. Um, Little Anthony's got uh, something called hydrocephalus, which I don't entirely understand what it is, but it involves getting a shunt placed, and long story short, he's got a lot of bills to pay, and Ray Borg wasn't able to fight, once because of Conor McGregor, once because of, you know dealing with the birth of his child, of course, Um, there's a GoFundMe set up. And if you want to, you know, if you guys can give anything, it'd be great. Um, Tyron Woodley, if you want to see, he he just posted it about uh, 30 minutes ago. CM Punk retweeted it, the link to the GoFundMe. So, you know, if you guys, you know, if you can, it'd be nice. uh, You know, the guy's going through some stuff. He's got, you know, got bills and God knows the UFC's medical plan isn't really full health insurance, so... You know, when he's saying he needs $20,000 in medical bill, I bet that's a drop in a fucking bucket given anybody who's ever had to deal, see a hospital bill. I broke my hand and it cost $110,000. So, um, yeah, anybody if you want to, you know, take a look, as I mentioned, Woodley's got it on, so, on social media. So does CM Punk. I imagine Ray Borg does himself. So, you know, check a look. Um, but yeah, um, I don't have anything this week, so I just wanted to point that out. Um, I'm going to go to Mike right now. Mike, do you got anything this week? I do, and I'm actually surprised you haven't seen it yet, Bobby. I'm, I'm pretty
0: sure you've probably heard about it. Um, I start, I just finished this doc four part documentary on uh on Netflix today. Okay, Bobby's upset about something, but um, it's called uh, Bobby Kennedy for President, which is a. I've been watching it. Yeah, it's a it's a very good and in depth uh, documentary just talking about um you know uh, Robert Robert F Kennedy. So if those of you that I mean I can't imagine no one doesn't know who that is if they're from America. Millennials. That's a, yeah, that's true. They're pretty stupid. Uh, that's
2: John F Kennedy's brother. Um, he was attorney Mike. Do you mind if I chime in for a minute? Because I'm the biggest... You know this already. I'm a big Bobby
0: Kennedy nerd. I'm going to let you ride on this one because you can say all of this much better than I can.
2: So I'm the biggest Bobby Kennedy nerd you're going to... I guess biggest 32-year-old Bobby Kennedy nerd you're going to hear about. Um, I am... uh, Bobby Kennedy was kind of... He was JFK's youngest brother. He got named Attorney General, which was a lot of controversy because he, quite frankly, hadn't had a lot of experience. He was a very young man. And he was known as being just like... The, the fighter of the family, a really ferocious person. But um, his brother died in Dallas, of course. He got shot. And Bobby Kennedy kind of became the flag bearer of the family. And he was very much kind of like a young, like a, like a 60s version of Obama in that he really rallied the young people around him. And in 1968, he decided he was going to run for president. And um, it really, and he was, you know, he, fam- he gave some really famous speeches, including he gave a speech in... Um, I want to say Memphis or something. He It was the night um, Martin Luther King got killed. And he was able to talk to the crowd. And in a really emotional moment, he talked about, you know, a man killed my brother. And he talked about that. And really, it's just he's a very... not to, I mean, look, he's a Kennedy, so there's all sorts of shit. But he's a very interesting person. And, you know, he worked on the um, McCarthy and uh, those hearings when they were chasing, you know, people for being communist. He had a very... Full life for dying at a very young age. He famously died after winning the California primary in 1968. He went backstage at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles and a young um, Palestinian gentleman named Saran Saran shot him in the fucking head and um, he died and he was, you know, perpetuated the Kennedy curse thing. Sorry to take it off course a little bit, but yeah, people who don't know Bobby Kennedy is, that's the Cliff Notes version, former attorney general, was running for president and got shot after he won the California primary in 1968.
0: I couldn't have said it better myself, and frankly, I'm not going to say anymore because you put it perfectly. Also, Senator of New York, so how about you don't forget that? Thank you.
2: Oh, I Bob. forgot about that. I'm sorry. Did, uh, do you like it? Because I know a lot about him, so a lot of this is rehashed for me. I've watched a lot of Bobby Kennedy documentaries.
0: For me, uh, a lot of it was new. Um, I knew the cliff notes on on, on RFK. Uh, you know, He was attorney general, shot. Was running for president, I didn't know just how much people loved him when he was running. And just you hit it right on the head when you say he was a '60s version of Obama. Uh, he seemed to, at least from what I could tell from the documentary, he seemed to instill a lot of hope for for people at that point. You know, uh, he was kind of the hopes and dreams of people uh, for a brighter future for America. You know, uh, a lot of change in America. He was saying a lot of things, especially when it comes to uh, poverty and racial equality that other people weren't saying nearly as loudly. And sadly, from what it seems with a lot of people from that era, uh, as soon as you start saying shit, people didn't like you, you tend to get, get got tend to get killed.
2: The sixties were a rough time for having a, uh heroes quite frankly
0: but i uh, um, i can't i can't recommend it anymore um i would watch it if you if you don't know much about robert kennedy um and maybe you just think he was just uh jack's younger brother i would give it a look
2: yeah and um if you get through the show and want, well, i need a book to read uh evan thomas wrote a really good book about robert kennedy called robert kennedy his life i read that uh a few years ago came out like i think in 2001 2000 so my dad was a bestseller new york times great book yeah i'm a i'm a giant nerd for this shit and um for people who are gonna follow it it's just worth you kind of you can it's almost like a like you can see the moment what how much his brother dying changed the person he was because a lot of people didn't like him beforehand, and it really changed who he was. He became a real champion of the people. So, yeah, that good call bringing that up, Mike. I'm o- I've only watched the first uh, the first episode or part or whatever like that, because I- I'm not really gaining a lot of new information. But it's very well done. But it's just because I've watched every fucking thing about this dude up until this point. Um, Stefan, what do you got this week?
1: Uh, you want to go to Mark? Uh, I was gonna end mine with a little poignancy, but uh, I can go first either way.
2: No, it's fine. We can go to Mark if you got a thing at the end, Marcus. Yeah, what do you got this got week. Got nothing too crazy. Um, a
3: couple games coming out this week that I'm kind of excited about. Um, mostly they're kind of indie games, not super well known. There's one called a uh, Horizon Chase Turbo. I Actually, played this game uh when I went over to PSX like three years ago, and it's kind of just a reimagining of the Outrun series where you're basically kind of driving a car always straight ahead towards the horizon, hence the name Horizon Chase. Um, what I kind of liked about it when I played it at um, PSX is that Uh, The vehicles have gas, and you have to get gas pickups. And I remember when I was playing it, uh, my car fucking ran out of gas. (laughs) And I was like, well, that's a cool way to fail at a racing game. I just straight up ran out of gas. I thought that was cool. Um, There's also a top-down roguelike action game called Wizards of Legend. Um, It actually looks really cool. It's kind of a fast Twitch base. Um, It looks like it might be a twin stick kind of action-adventure game where you basically play a wizard, and you keep getting all these really kind of flashy spells. Uh, kind of has like a 16-bit art style. Looks really cool. Uh, one of the bigger releases for um, PlayStation 4 this week that I'm I've been on the fence about because I I got I was so excited for this game to come out on PS3 and I loved it on PS3 and I played it a ton. Hence, they didn't really change much on this remaster. Um, I'm talking about this game called Dragon's Crown Pro for the PS4. Dragon's Crown came out on PS3 and Vita a couple years ago. This is a side-scrolling fantasy game uh very much in the vein of the Dungeons and dragons beat em up that came out in arcades uh, in the 90s when uh, side scrolling beat em ups were uh, all the craze and uh, it's game. just yeah it's just a fantastic uh fantastic game with a beautiful art style uh, mostly for me it's just am i going to pay you know 40 bucks to potentially maybe get around to replaying this game that i already played a lot of um, I just been kind of on the wall. They didn't really add a whole lot to this. I mean, the biggest thing they added was the um, the soundtrack is now in orchestra instead of just um, whatever they're using before, which I don't even remember. What is
2: Marcus? What is this for? It's this is for,
3: for PS4. Um, it's an exclusive PS4 game uh, okay. from Atlas, and it, it, I'm really, I, you know, I probably, I'm definitely going to pick it up at some point. If it's just right away, is the kind of question for me. So, uh, some fun games to pick up, and also to note, the Wizards, uh, Wizards of Legends, is also coming out on plate on a. Uh, Xbox and Nintendo Switch so you know if you're kind of looking to fill out those uh, profiles you know uh, give it a look and see if it's something you're interested in. Um, I did want to touch last week I did mention uh, Batman Ninja was a DC animated film that was coming out on physical Blu-ray and I watched it over the weekend and the reviews are kind of all over the place and I can see why. Uh, Personally I consider it to be a fun uh, good uh, DC animated movie but not great or fantastic and uh, I think if you like anime in general and you also like Batman, uh, I think you will enjoy this movie. Um, there's obviously – if you kind of go into this movie with the kind of comic book mindset where you're trying to piece together like, well, how does this work? How do they get this to work in Japan? Because the basic premise is that uh, Batman and his kind of rogues gallery of villains is long, as, as well as kind of some of the Bat family, Nightwing, Robin – Red Robin. I didn't know there was a Red Robin. It just reminds me of the burger place. It just makes me hungry. It's weird. Um, and Catwoman. They all get transported in or basically go through time to feudal Japan. And it's a really cool premise, um, but they obviously take some liberties at, at, at a certain point in the movie. There's lots of giant robots, as is very anime uh, AF. But also, like, how does this work? And It's like, oh, a Groot group told them how to make mechs. Sure, why not? That makes sense. Uh, But if you kind of can let that stuff go by the wayside, you kind of just have a fun Batman flick. And I think on that grounding, it was a very enjoyable film. So I feel like I'm completely blanking on something else I wanted to mention this week, but it's not coming to me. So maybe next week, if I remember, I'll bring it up.
2: Is it going to be everybody go see Deadpool?
3: Uh, No, but Deadpool's coming out this week, and that's cool. Uh, It's not coming to me. I can't remember. It'll come to me an hour later. I'll be like, fuck, I totally forgot about that. So we'll see
2: uh kid presentable i want to what see uh
1: deadpool at the alamo draft house i think
2: uh, i think that's where we saw the first deadpool <laughs> I, was say, yeah, a, the first I, I was gonna say i was gonna say i'm in for 40 bucks for the first time i'll see it again like, i, uh, I, I, wasn't,
1: that I like a breakfast burger because mark mentioned red robin which i initially associate with that was the first burger place that really added the egg on it with the the royale so, uh, yeah, if, if y'all want to do – if y'all are up for doing an Alamo Draft House I'm trip, be able edible, to work that out. Uh, I think that'd be fun.
2: Yeah, is that, the, is that, the, is that the, the breakfast burger, the thing where they give you just a copious amount of French fries with it? Because that's – I think oh, I yeah, got that
1: it's, it's good, man. Uh, Alamo <laughs> Draft House, if you haven't had a chance to go, man, a movie theater where they have like a full-service restaurant and bar with it, it's, it's great. And, um, and but... it's, sorry, stuff, even,
3: even to give them a little extra plug, I, what I find even more important than the fantastic food, they have a – no shit policy for you fucking up this movie for other people and i love that there's like if you talked in this movie we were gonna kick your ass out and having just no saw, phones no yeah, and phones, having just saw it. avengers with stefan and san leandro in our dear old theater where there was straight up this dude talked on the phone for like 45 fucking minutes and i was losing my shit and i like the alamo draft house they make it very you clear you don't like front. that one lady who's that is that thor Is that Thor? That's Thor. Is that Thor? There are certain movies going to that theater makes it so much better. Avengers, the second time through is fine because i already seen it. I don't care. Horror movies, fantastic. But the trope that some people have where there's no mental block in their head. Like they think of a shit and they just say it. And it's like, yeah, we're all thinking about who this person is and why are they going through that door? Don't say it out loud, though. We're all thinking it internally. Just keep it to yourself. But sometimes it's incredibly fun. But I do like how Alamo Draft House, they basically say right up front, like, look, we're not fucking around here. People are paying $15 for the movie, and they're going to pay an extra 20 for food. This is high-class shit. Don't come in here and start fucking it up for everyone. I like that.
2: Man, I was at this theater in Vegas when I saw Avengers, and I have, like, between buying a bottle of water – some chicken strips and some french fries. I was in for like $27 without the ticket. Ouch. That was a By that was way, a brutal. Good thing the movie was good. <laughs> I am loving our new unofficial
1: segment, the weekly non-sponsored plug that we give to companies and businesses that we just like in our personal lives. Maybe they'll show us some love one of these days. Um, but to my stuff this week, uh, the Saturday was my nephew, Jack. Uh, it was 11th birthday, so uh, happy birthday to my little buddy. Um, Love that kid. He he thinks I'm the cool uncle because all the stuff that I grew up being nerdy for is, like, all the mainstream stuff now. So it's so easy to be a cool uncle to him, and I just relish being in that role. Uh, we got to try this uh, new Filipino brunch spot that just opened in San Francisco called 1608 Bistro. Um, it's a cool little spot, a little hole in the wall. I had a uh, Ube Turon French toast. Um, if you're not familiar with what Turon is... It is a Filipino dessert. Um, it's kind of the lumpia fried wrapper shell, but inside is jackfruit, banana, and brown sugar. So it's kind of a desserty like type of a deep-fried egg roll. Um, great place. It's a spot. It's uh, pretty much run by one family, which I thought is cool. All the uh, serving and cooking staff are a bunch of brothers and sisters. So I just think that's really cool, supporting the community out here. Um, They've only been open for a month, but a great brunch spot in San Francisco. Again, it's called 1608 Bistro. And uh, just to cap it off, uh, I just wanted to say, uh, get a little emotional, get a little sappy, get a little sentimental, as I am prone to do. Um, If you're alive in this world, it's a couple days past now, but if you're alive in this world, chances are you had a mother. Uh, Shout out to those test tube babies. I don't think I know any of them myself, but um, my mom, she's been the love of my life thus far, and... She's done so much for me, classic, you know, American dream story of an immigrant parent who wanted their kids to have the best life possible, and I thank my mom every single day for the life she's given me and all the opportunities I've had as a result of her work, so um, to the moms out there, to the sisters, everyone, you know, um, I know we, we got a bunch of mama's boys on this podcast, too, so... Uh, shout outs to all the moms of the world we love you we appreciate everything you've done for us and we all hope to make you proud right on
2: yeah well put happy mother's day to everybody hope you had a great one yesterday um and saturday was my parents 34th wedding anniversary hey congratulations nice stability in america good job guys. stability um yeah thank you guys all for listening to this podcast we're gonna be back next week uh we're gonna see if anybody watches this shit I'm okay if we see Deadpool during this card. Just want to put that out there. Mm. I'm okay with that, too. Seems like a good time as any to watch this thing. It does. During this card. You know? Um, let me, let's just handle business? Drew, you got Saturday off, right? Okay, he doesn't. Whatever. Deadpool, Saturday. During this card. Anyway, we'll be back next week. There's a card next week, and it uh, is another one. Look, it's got a fight. I'm Me and Stefan, I know, we're talking about this, and we're all excited for it. Wonderboy Thompson and uh, Darren Till. Uh, That's a banger! Da- it, wow. it, it's we got a couple people who are kind of interesting. We lost um, Gunnar Nelson, who's going to take on Neil Magny, which is a little disappointing. Quite frankly, that was going to be a fun matchup. I like Arnold Allen. I like Makwan Amerkani. There's people I like on this card, but it's shit's real thin, like really, really thin. Like, what time is the main event? I'll turn in for that. That thin. So, but the main event is going to be a goddamn banger. Um, I'm crazy excited. I know, Stefan, you're crazy excited. We'll we'll give some attention to this fight for sure because we're going to find out how, dare, how good really Darren Kill is right now, huh? So, uh, we'll talk about that. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll see if anything gets booked for this LA card. If they really get any of these fights they want to do. They already cut a guy who they wanted from one of the fights. So, we'll see if any of that shit happens um thanks again for listening back next week and uh peace out see ya later